In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers podcast. And we are part of the Oil & Gas Global Network's a community of podcasts, and OGGN, as we fondly refer to ourselves, is the largest community of oil and gas podcasts in the world. And I believe just a couple of months ago, we actually reached uh, the point where every country in the world now has uh, uh, listeners to the Oil and Gas Global Network. So uh, we're everywhere on the globe, and we're certainly grateful that uh, you've joined us today. Uh, so really pleased that you've figured out whatever buttons or keys you needed to push on whatever device you're on so you could join in. We're going to uh, have a discussion um, here um, shortly. And uh, But before then, I do want to be sure and say thank you to not only you that are our listeners, but also to HPE. And if you get a chance, go to hpe.com and take a look at what they do. Um, HPE has a whole team of dedicated and experienced oil and gas solution folks. So they've got the experience, they've done this before to help, uh, help companies. And um, in particular, they're doing a lot of work these days around um, their platform called the GreenLake, HPE GreenLake and they call it their edge to cloud platform. It's all about bringing the cloud to you wherever your apps and data live. Um, and you know, uh, HP has over 12 years of consumption-based um, experience. Um, and so they, ha and they have the widest portfolio of on-premise cloud services. So if you get a chance, go take a look at hpe.com or reach out to those folks over there. Um, they've got the cloud that comes to you. Um, so with that, I'm going to um, introduce uh, my guest today, and his name is John Capello. And I, John, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, uh, perfect, perfect. And um, he is the field CTO for Nasuni. Um, and he plays a, an instrumental role in directing their product strategy and he, he's often found, good for him, working with customers and technology partners to be sure to understand, uh, help them understand probably and define, and then also um, identify their requirements and new use cases for Nasuni's global file system. Uh, before joining Nasuni, uh, John did all kinds of interesting things. He was vice president of a product, or excuse me, vice president of product at a fast-growing startups like Abuzz, if I'm saying that correctly, mm -hmm. which uh, later uh, became part of the New York Times. And am I saying this right? Tableau? Tableau, exactly, Tableau, yeah. which was acquired, interestingly enough, by HP or Hewlett-Packard. Um, and he's also served as the general manager for the New York Times Digital and then he spent a little time with McKinsey and Company. So, um, really happy to have you here, 
John. And uh, is there anything else that we ought to know about you or your background or something? John's, I'm sitting here in Houston, which is normal, and John's joining us from the Northeast today. I, I am. Yeah. Beautiful Cambridge, Mass. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you so much for having having us here. The the one thing I would just want to clarify for your listeners, just because I this gets confusing sometimes. I was with a company called Tableau, which was a photo sharing company in the mid early 2000s, um, 2006 to 2008. Um, that's different than Tableau, which many people know as the BI company, the business intelligence company. Well, so, I noticed um, it was spelled differently. <laughs> it's spelled very differently. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't want your, your listeners to think, wait, did Tableau get bought by HP? Um, <laughs> okay. it, it didn't, not the one you're thinking of, but, okay. um, well, thank you for, for, for keeping me out of trouble. Yeah. There. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you, you were um, at one time uh, the general manager of the New York Times Digital. Yeah, I was uh, one of the general managers in th- that group. In fact, um, they had purchased uh, the company I'd worked with, um, Abuzz, because they were trying to develop this capability to reach a broader audience with, um, at that time, what we had called kind of a knowledge network, but really was the, kind of the very beginning of social networking um, technology. So uh, it, was a, it was a technology, it was a website, it was a... Um, a way in which uh, the audience members of the New York Times could ask questions of one another and get answers. Oh. Um, really similar to the way something like Core would work today or um, uh, Yahoo Answers was kind of another example of that. Um, but it was an early way in which uh, you could form a certain type of um, network of people that you trusted and were affiliated with. Um, all this now, you know, years and years before, you know, the actual like explosion of the uh, of the the networks like the the ones we all know take like Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Wow. So I wondered if you had a journalism background, but it sounds like you were still kind of on that technology space. On the technology side, no. Yeah. But um, you know, as the at the time, the New York Times New York Times was very um, uh, I thought r- really thoughtful about how they they organized that that unit, and uh, we did have people from some executives from from the paper originally, and mm-hmm. so. One of the great things about that company at the time, and still today, is that you know they really are based on these principles around um, you know what it means to kind of deliver editorial uh, editorial value and and, and truth. And um, they, uh, I thought they did a great job of of you know making sure that that um, same heritage kind of came over into their digital world. It's kind of strange today because you know the New York Times digital doesn't exist anymore because it's just the New York Times. Right. You know they kind of made that whole transformation, but. Um, but at that time, as they were going through that, you know, they consciously made sure that the um, the journalistic um, principles, the the um, uh, you know the the culture, the values, all that you know, made its way over into the new things that they were creating. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, um, I spend a little time um, consuming the New York Times. Uh, I uh, it keeps me, I, I hope, uh, kind of informed. But if I'm completely honest, I spend the majority of the time my time. On the crossword. On the, <laughs> so, and to be perfectly honest, that's what I do too. So, um, and Wordle is now and, part of the New York Wordle, Times crossword app. Isn't Wordle, that awesome? They bought that. Wordle first. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I can get it, and then the New York Times. And so, yes, yes, the same here. So, great products. And uh, but I do enjoy. I do enjoy lots of. Uh, you know what I really enjoy about the New York Times. Um, sometimes, and particularly in their magazine, is um, I know we're off the topic here, but you know. Sometimes I feel like we we kind of live in a soundbite world, mm-hmm. right? People want the quick and that's all. And I really appreciate that it's not uncommon for the New York Times to really dig in. And so 
the long yep. form. Yeah. yeah. Whether you agree with it or not, you get a right. little more substance than 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 just the sound bite. So anyway. I always appreciate that. Thousand percent agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. All right. So, so John, tell us, what does Nasuni do? Uh, so, Nasuni is um, a very innovative company, and what we do is uh, we do something called file services or cloud file services. Um, we're a platform that will replace what you might have inside of your infrastructure for storing files today. So. Um, you know, typical um, platforms where you store files would be called like NAS platforms, network attached storage. Um, some of the uh, the typical companies that you've you've heard of in this space would be someone like uh, NetApp or Isilon or um, uh, Isilon's an EMC product, or even what you might know as like a Windows file server. And those are ways in which people store their files and then they have to protect the files. They have to make sure that those files and the versions that of those files that get created are available in case something happens, accidental deletions. Um, they have to make sure that it's uh, available and protected from you know any kind of disaster that could happen within your data center. So a lot of times um, you have companies that are creating these massive file infrastructures to store data and then protect the data and make sure it's available in different locations, having what they call like disaster recovery scenarios. Well, we looked at that whole problem of how do you store files and how do you protect files from anything and uh, we created a solution which is based on the most um, cutting edge technologies, the most modern technologies, and um, which you could call cloud technologies, but I like how you started with the HPE GreenLake as well because um, you know, they have technologies as well, um, storage technologies, particularly around what they call the object store. And that's the, that's the foundation of pretty much any public cloud storage strategy is an object store. Um, it's a massively, massively scalable um, technology to, to put pretty much anything you want at any, any scale. The problem is it doesn't integrate very well into um, your, your typical file, file infrastructure. In other words, um, this object, the object store is such a great way of storing the data. But if I really want to access the data, it can be really tough. And that has to do with how historically those um, object stores have developed over time. They've developed where they have protocols um, that are based on, um, they're not based on the same file protocols you would use in your in your company. So um, if I'm going to store files locally in my data center, if I'm going to store files in an office, if I have a shared drive, I'm going to use a file protocol for that. But object stores don't speak file protocol, at least not in the way that they, they really need to. So Nasuni's innovation was we said, object stores are great. They, they're incredibly scalable. Um, you can put as much stuff in them as you want. You're never constrained. Um, they can be geo-redundant, meaning like I can put data into an object store in one place and automatically or you know, very soon after I put it there, it's going to copy somewhere else in the world. And that means that if you know, a disaster happens in one location, I'm not losing my data. Um, they're really, really durable. Um, you know, I don't have to worry about data getting lost. And we said, that's all great, but how can we bring that power of that technology into the, the typical enterprise? How can, we, how can we take your shared drive that you see every day, that you work off of every day, that you open up every day because that's where your project lives? You have a little shared drive that you share with your, your colleagues, and that's where you put all of your data. That's where you can make sure that if you change something, someone else can change it too. How can we take that experience and make sure they can take advantage of this thing called the object store? So 
that was the beginning of the SUNY. We said, we're going to create a system. We're going to create a whole um, platform in which the data is stored in this object store of your choice. So um, you could use HPE's object store. You could use AWS. You could use Azure. You can say, I've got... I've got credentials to any of these. And so within the same platform, I'm going to choose to create a volume of data on one of those platforms. Now, the interesting thing about us is that even if you're putting the data, the gold copy is going to live inside of that object store. That's not where you're going to access it from. Because there are two main components to a Nasuni solution. It's the volume of data that lives in the object store, but it's the access point into that. And that access point are these um, little virtual machines, these servers that can live anywhere inside of your environment. They could live um, in a GreenLake cluster. They could live as part of um, an HP GreenLake. They could live in your VMware um, environment. And those are um, servers that are basically file servers. Um, they look just like your typical Windows file server, look just like your NetApp. What's different about those is they're connected into that massive object store in the back end. So this is very much um, uh, in what we would call like an edge core model. The core is the object store, and the edge is that access point, that virtual machine that you put anywhere. We call them edges, so we call them like the Nasuni Edge Appliance. Um, and what's cool about that is I can put that edge in my data center. I can put the edge in my remote office. I could put that edge on my laptop if I wanted. I could put the edge in a public cloud data center. And... It doesn't matter where I put that edge, I can put any volume, I can assign any volume to those edges. And now I've got a really powerful solution where I can have one volume, let's say I've got my projects volume, and I'm gonna share it on these other edges. And that edge could be in my data center in Houston. Oh, but actually I need it on a, um, uh, a, a rig that's out in the North Sea. Oh, I might also need it inside of my AWS data center because I'm going to do a bunch of compute. And they all need to access the same data, but those edges can have access to that data. And the cool thing about that edge is, depending on what I need to do with that data set, so let's say I've got a really, really big data set. Let's say I've got like a, a five petabyte volume. Which, by the way, um, on in traditional architectures or traditional um, uh, traditional storage technologies, we couldn't even have that conversation. We couldn't even have a conversation about a um, about two billion files in a directory. We couldn't have a conversation about multi-petabyte volumes because those technologies don't scale to that level. So the the old data center technologies were limited by scale, but now. We're using this great thing called the um, the object store. We're using the cloud. Now we've got this one volume, which means that I don't have to rethink how I'm going to create my projects volume. Let's call it my projects volume. I don't have to rethink my projects volume because of a limitation of my storage technology. I can just keep dumping data into that. So I've got this one volume. Let's say it's a five petabyte volume. It's got five billion files. And I've got some... Um, Let's say I've got some seismic data that I'm trying to upload to it. Let's say at the same time, I also have some um, analyses I've run on that seismic data, and I'm running some machine learning against it, and I want to do some um, uh, analysis on that. So up in the North Sea, I might be uploading my seismic data, so I want a really big edge up there. I have a, an edge that's really optimized for um, being able to analyze a bunch of those files, and I put that in my Houston data center. And then, uh, again, maybe inside of AWS or maybe inside of Azure, um, I want to run some other specific analytics. 
and they're all in different parts of the same data set. Well, those edges can be whatever size you want. They can have as much compute power as you need. They can, um, they can only present out the parts of the data set that you need to work on in that place. So I might have a five petabyte volume, but I'm only working off of, say, maybe two terabytes or maybe 100 gigs, or maybe I'm uploading 10 terabytes. The edge is the flexible piece. The edge can be super flexible, but you don't have to worry about your volume and um, the, uh, the limitations that, that can come with that. So the real um, cool thing here, because this is a high, my highly technical language, right? This really cool <laughs> thing here is your Nasuni edge appliance. That's right. That edge appliance can is be it, anywhere. It, in that, yep. And it's... Very elastic. It's very flexible. Yes. So we very big. big. Very big or very small. Okay. And it can be really high performance or it could be, um, you know, you don't need as much um, compute. Okay. It's, but elastic is absolutely the word to describe that because it's elastic in the, um, the processing power I would need on the data or elastic in terms of the size of the local data set that I would need, the cache size. Okay. Okay. And so um, tell us a little bit, what, what are the challenges? Like in, you know, every day what I'm trying to do. So you gave us an example about seismic a little bit. But so what are some of the common challenges that, you know, companies bump into and they say, shoot, I don't know how to solve this. And you guys help them solve. Yeah. Well, we all kind of faced this one big challenge two years ago with the pandemic, which is, um, you know, the, the people are not necessarily where the data is. And that can be everything from, you know, I'm just working off of my office documents. I'm working off of like, um, I'm creating some uh, marketing files. It doesn't even have to be on the, um, on the, the, the operation side of the business. It might just be on the, on the infrastructure side or the, um, the uh, administration side. But the one very typical problem across all of that is I have teams that are now in different places from where I'm storing my data. And so I need those teams to be able to see the same data and make sure that they can work on the same, excuse me, data set without um, uh, conflicting or um, coming into, um, uh, without introducing conflicts into their files. And conflicts so, like limitations of some kind, accessibility? Oh, sorry. Uh, file, uh, conflicts in terms of like um, me and you working on the same file, you write something and I write something and, you know, we, we overstep each other because like we're working on two copies of the same file. Okay, okay. So that's been like one big problem. And the way that we solve that is we have a, a system to take um, something very common within, if, if you were all in the same office, you're all working off of the same server you could have something called a file lock. And that's a really common thing. I open up a file, it's locked. Someone else tries to open it up, it's locked, I can't open it. But once you realize, okay, well, people have to are now spread out into different locations, now I need a global file lock. I need a lock that will be respected in any location where someone has that file. We spent a lot of time building up um, our capabilities for that. And part of our platform is an option to put a file lock on any directory where people are collaborating. Okay. So, one common problem is that um, because teams are now spread out all over the world, that can mean that, um, or even just over the country or even over just, you know, between home and the office, where they're working on files might also change. Um, in other words, the, the further teams get away from each other, 
the further they get away from like a central place like an office or a data center, then they have to, your, your IT um, teams come up with a, uh, a solution where they can work on the same files, but with, with, uh, without having these, this huge latency. So that means you have to get copies of files. That means you have to have a copy here that you're working on, a copy over there that you're working on. Once you start doing that, you got to worry about locking. So and you got version, you got kind of version issues. Version control. That's absolutely true. Yep. And that brings up another really, really big point about the other reason people come to us is that part of what we've developed in creating this really massive file system on top of the object store is we've put in our own versioning system as well. So every time that, you know, let's say Joe and I are working off of the same file. Um, you're working in Houston and I'm working up here in Boston. We both are attached to our own edge appliances. You make changes to that file and it's under a lock. So I try to open that file, can't do anything about it, but I'm going to be, but you're making changes. You make those changes. And as soon as you release that lock, we're going to make sure all that data gets pushed up to that core, that object store where it's being stored. When I open up my file, now that the lock is gone, I'm going to, up, I'm going to download the most recent changes. Before I can even open up the file, it ha- it, it's smart enough to know, hey, there, there's a new version up there in the cloud. Go bring that down before you start working on it. So with our lock, we can be absolutely assured that there's consistency across different files. But now we've got these two different versions that we're, or, or we've created a version for what you push to the cloud. Now I'm going to work on a version that I'm going to um, be based off of. Right. The cool thing here is every time that we push things to the cloud, we send with it a tiny little, you can think of it as like a sidecar file. We call it a little manifest file. And so um, let's say we're working off of like, you know, our annual report, you know, um, file, annual report PDF file. Um, you push that up to the cloud. You're, you're now, you've just pushed version seven. The way that I know that's going to be version seven is I've got this little manifest file that says annual report version seven is this this little object here in, this, in the object store. I start working up on mine as I push data up to the cloud. Now I've got version eight. Those manifest files get pushed up for every file, every folder, and then the entire volume that gets pushed up to the cloud. To give you some sense about how many of these things exist, they're, remember, they're really, really tiny files. But a typical, let's say you've got a, um, you've got customers like a like a 400 terabyte volume that has been um, shared across say 30 different locations around the world for four years. This is a real world example. Um, that customer that I just described has 1.7 billion restore points, little manifest files. That means there are 1.7 billion places inside of their file system that they can restore back to if something bad happens. Oh, oh! This wow. is the really cool thing that we st- we we introduced primarily initially just for you know what you were saying before about version control. However, um, and this gets to the second reason people come to us, it is a incredibly powerful technology for protecting any company against ransomware. Because those files, those low restore points, are anywhere in your file system, and for any file folder or volume. So let's say we're working off of our annual report and uh, we get attacked. Somehow a piece of ransomware gets into, you know, I'll be, I'll be the culprit here. I'm the one that got the ransomware. <laughs> okay. You wouldn't do it. You're, you're very good about you know, managing. Oh, right. um, but somehow um, I had a, uh, a ransomware attack and started to 
encrypt all of the files inside of the finance folder. And that finance folder, let's say, has you know 20 subfolders and 40 subfolders under that. Let's say that there's a million files underneath that finance folder. And by the time we recognize this, we realize that we've encrypted everything in that finance folder. Wow. The Nasuni process to restore includes a, includes basically we've got a, a bunch of cool things that you can do in the back end, but. Um, the short answer to this is by the time that we lock everything down and we're saying we're ready to restore back, that process is about taking that one file, that one little manifest file that said, hey, the finance folder, the good version of that was at, you know, 3, three o'clock p.m. on the 15th. Right. Because we know that the ransomware attack hit at 301, 302. All we have to do is restore back to that one file. That can take as little as 30 seconds. It may take as much as like, let's say in certain conditions, maybe like an hour or, or two. Uh-huh. That is a rem- and that's for a million files. Yeah. That is a remarkably easy way to protect a company against ransomware okay. because we can restore back. Yep. Yep. So that's part of the, when you talked up front, um, that's, you said store protect and then provide that accessibility. Mm-hmm. So that's that protect piece or at least that's, the piece. that's exactly right. In fact, um, we're initially when we designed our system to be about protecting, we we're thinking about protecting against accidental deletion. We we're thinking about protecting against, um, you know, a, a site would go down and you have, you know, another copy of it to be protected. But in the years that we've been doing this, we have never, ever had a customer have to pay the ransom because it turns out that the protection piece around ransomware is incredibly powerful. So um, we've actually built a whole suite of new technologies around, around that one foundation of um, being able to restore super fast. And now we can do things like um, detect as soon as one of these problems happen. So um, in the real world scenario where, you know, I... I was the one who brought in the ransomware virus. It's on my computer and it's starting to write to um, my edge appliance. If it's a known signature, we're going to look at that and we'll be like, hey, look, that's that ransomware virus that we saw last week over and it doesn't have to be one of our companies. We subscribe to a service that every four hours we get the latest um, signatures from them. And now we've got a bunch of tools that now say, oh, look, that's definitely that, that ransomware virus. We're going to automatically stop that appliance from pushing data into the cloud. And we're going to go ahead and remedy the situation. So we have developed on top of this you know, incredibly powerful restore process, this whole detection and protection piece as well. Wow. Um, it really is. It, it inoculates our customers against ransomware attacks. It inoculates them from the effect of what happens at any scale. Because if you're on the SUNY and you've been, you know, um, writing data to the SUNY, um, as soon as we as soon as we snapshot to the cloud, which happens every between five minutes, fifteen minutes, we've got a restore point, we've got a place you can go back to. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of a big piece. Yes. It's a the, lot of a lot of risk management functionality. It seems like, or uh, yeah. We were talking, I, th- I think we were talking before about um, different, um, you know, the different scenarios who uses Nasuni. And certainly the end user 
you know, gets a lot of Nasumi because they can store their files without having to think about it too much. The IT gets a lot of it. But with ransomware, this has been um, where the CEOs are now coming to us and they're mm-hmm. saying, I want to make sure that I'm protected. And we can come back to them and we can say, and we've done this a number of times now, um, look, not only are you protected, but if you really want to showcase, you know, for um, if, if you really want to um, demonstrate to yourself and maybe even to the board. Yeah, your board, that, yeah. Yeah, you know, that you are protected, we can run scenarios with you. That's one of the great things about us is like, um, you know, we can easily showcase what it's like to be able to restore from an attack in a way that, you know, doesn't actually have to be a real attack. And um, that has been very powerful um, for a lot of our customers as they develop their own best practices as a um, as IT organization where you're really into this mindset of like, you know, I know that I have a very solid infrastructure if I can really test out the limits of the infrastructure. And so when it comes to ransomware, we highly encourage our customers like just, you know, uh, you know, work with work with a lot of your technology partners, work with a lot of um, you can work with us, but certainly like um, develop that ability to showcase what it's like to recover from a ransomware attack. Yeah. So I would think that that um, there would be a, a greater degree of confidence if you can show somebody rather than just tell them. Um, exactly. Or describe them to, to, to them. Um, and so that's a good, a good point here. So tell us, what are some of the industries that you do work in, John? Well, certainly energy. Energy has become a big one for us um, recently because um, they have a lot of file problems. Like the files, the file um, workloads are big. Um, anyone who is coming up against the limitations of a... Um, of a storage technology, you know, based on scale. If you if you have a storage, if you have a um, a file infrastructure that um, can't scale beyond, again, like two billion files or four billion files or, or numbers of petabytes, that's where they come to us. Because, um, as a general rule, you really don't want your um, the the technology to limit how you run your business. Yeah. And we, we see that a lot now with, um, you know, with all the innovations, the digital innovations that are creating larger and larger and larger and larger data sets. You, you just have to make sure that you have a technology that isn't going to limit how you use that data. And so sometimes we talk about things like the logical world or the physical world of our IT infrastructure. Logical world is like, um, here's my volume of data. You know, the physical world is like the the server gets stored on. You always want that logical world to be as flexible as possible. You want your volumes to be as big as they can be. You don't want anyone saying like, well, you really don't want to do your folders that way because then the system's not going to be as fast. That's the last thing you want to do. So energy has been a fantastic one because your data sets are just growing so fast, number one. It's also fantastic because, um, like I was saying before, more and more, you know, you're finding that you have to support these distributed teams. And and that was true and becoming more and more true over the last, say, 15, 20 years. Um, but certainly the pandemic just kind of accelerated all of that. Um, you know, people say, like, the edge is everywhere or, um, you know, the the, the the sort of location of work is changing. But really, the companies have always been... Um, getting more and more value out of their workflow out of out of um out of technology have been the ones where they can um leverage technology wherever it's needed in the world 
and energy is a great um, industry for that. Um, architecture, engineering, construction, the AEC space is what we call that big one for us. Manufacturing, we're seeing a lot of manufacturers, um, and this touches on energy because it's a lot of the same technologies that, that we support. A lot of but equipment, if, heavy, data, heavy. Got it. Uh, yeah. And, and those, um, those data sets are, um, continue to be more um, unwieldy. Um, you know, you'll have a new innovation with a, um, with a machine or you'll have a new innovation with a, um, even the way you, you, you analyze the data. They're, they're innovations which require larger and larger files. Right. And, you know, whenever that happens, that's a great place for us to come in because, um, you know, our, our bread and butter, so to speak, is um, if you've got large files, large data sets that need to move to different locations around the world. Um, that's really hard to do unless you have this kind of core edge system, unless you've created these edges that can do all these um, really kind of amazing things. And so uh, energy, I'd say um, AC, um, uh, we're starting to see a lot in uh, media and entertainment now as well. But we, I, I'd say the the other 50%, that probably accounts for like the, the majority of our, or not the majority, but sort of like the... Um, you know, the, the top industries, but then we have a long tail of industries of just anyone who needs um, right. just file services. Um, so, you know, in particular with the ransomware, um, what's been happening today, um, once customers have seen, or we what we see a lot is like our customers who like leave their jobs to go work for other companies and they show up there and they're like, hey, you know, I used to have this great ransomware technology, ransomware protection technology um, called Nasuni that becomes a place where, you know, that's, that becomes an easy way for companies to adopt us. And so I think when you think across the industries that the ransomware story has really started to um, right. make us attractive across different industries. Well, you know, I think the, the, the I've worked for, for big companies. Um, it is really, really hard to control the actions of <laughs> thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of employees and each one of those employees is really a portal potentially into, you know, your IT systems and and uh, and I, you know just as an individual consumer and user of technology, um, the 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 crooks I don't know I'm going to call them the crooks whatever yep. they are, um, they're they're getting smarter and smarter. I mean I'm amazed at Thousand some percent. of the things that come to me that say hey, you know click here and uh you know and i i'm like i'm very careful because i don't have an it department i am the it department and, I have, <laughs> and so i'm pretty careful but um yeah i i i think and i many many years ago many many years ago i remember at one time having a conversation with someone and they were saying how it's almost impossible to say or think that you won't be breached Joanne, the, the value is yeah. minimizing the impact. Yeah. I, I, I cannot agree with you more on this one. This is a, and I think this is something that our industry, uh, the IT industry, or just, you know, the, um, actually any industry really needs to adopt, which is if you, you really have to start thinking about taking the, the perspective, um, you know, not if, but when, and then the technologies that should protect you um, you can think of it in two ways. Either I create a bunch of technologies or I adopt technologies that will um, 
create the higher wall, right? The bigger wall to get through, right? I'm just gonna keep building up that wall so it's harder and harder to get to get through. Um, and we have some really good ones there, but they're also reaching their limit, like multi-factor authentication. And you know, if every time that I need to log in somewhere, I have to get like a, um, you know, my phone will buzz, and then I need to like get my retinal scan, and then I need to make sure that like I've, you know, I answer a bunch of questions, and you know, I mean, there there becomes a point where the wall is too high. Um, so then you think of the other way of approaching some of these problems, which is like, okay, instead of managing, you know, the prevention of being attacked, what if I just manage the impact of the attack? Yeah. And that's been our perspective on this, which is like, look, you know, if we can basically create a system for you where no matter what level you get attacked inside of your file system, if we can return you back to the point that you can work off of all of your files and the time to do that is less than the time it would take to actually even figure out how to pay the ransom, not even worry about paying the ransom. Right. Then what we've done is we've turned ransomware into an annoyance. We haven't turned it into a company ending event or we start, we certainly haven't turned it into a board level concern. Yeah. And so I, I a thousand percent agree. Like as you were describing it, you're like, Hey, look, all these employees are out there. There are all these like portals or some yeah. people call them like, you know, the, a th you know, a threat vector, you know, a, a way in which, um, uh, you know, a vulnerability point in which you yeah. could be attacked. That's not going to change. Yeah. I mean, that, but what can change is how you think about your internal systems so that they are easily recoverable and recoverable to a point where, you know, the impact doesn't matter. The more that we can do that as an industry, the more that we can actually, like, get to the heart of the incentive for creating a ransomware attack. Right. Start if, taking that away from the people that want to do that. Yeah. Like if I, you know, um, not to like tempt fate or anything like that, but if I could offer any, you know, words of wisdom to a potential ransomware attacker right now, like, like you're just wasting your time if you're sending up against Nasuni right now. Um, it's just, I mean, you can, it's going to be annoying for a handful of people in the company and, right. you know, it won't be, but you know, like we're, we're also this, what's called a worm system, which is like, not only do we have a point which you can recover from, but like that those encrypted files have ne will never the encrypt the encrypted data that you that ransomware attackers see. So they create like let's say we're working off our annual report. That annual report, when you and I are working off of it, let's say it exists as like objects A, B, C, and D up in the cloud. When ransomware comes around and it creates a rans a new version of that file, an encrypted version of that file, we never touch versions A, B, C, D in the cloud. We just create a new one called E, or E F G H. So what ransomware really did was they, A, made it annoying, B, made us, like, you know, create some more files, which we can prune out. And so there's no value to that attack, that type of attack right. in particular. Right. So um, that's part of where, you know, we as an industry just need to be thinking more and more about how to, you know, get to the fundamental problems right. of, um, you know, uh, trying to, um, yeah. you know, thwart some of these attacks. Yeah. Because it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert in this, but I suspect that um, the cost of trying to prevent these breaches is getting very expensive. It, um, it really is. With, with people in the IT organization, with training of folks, you know, that are just users, 
um, and all of the, like you said, all of the authentication that's, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're beginning to chew up uh, lots of time. So, and you're fighting on so many fronts. There's so many different ways that you can get a user to click on something. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> you know, so, well, listen, John, I, I appreciate the, um, the conversation here and, you know, I've, uh, you know, I don't have a great appreciation because I'm not working. I just, I just want there to be enough space when I need to do something right. That's a user. That's just what okay. I want. Um, and, um, so, you know, I like this, uh, you know, this, this, this kind of, uh, notion of, of having this, um, uh, this edge, what do you call it? You call it your edge, um, uh, edge, appliance. edge appliance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, with a lot of, um, a lot of confidence that even if I screw up, right, uh, maybe mm-hmm. it's not, uh, you know, it's not uh, costly, you know, extremely costly for, for the people that might have to come and clean up my mess. Um, so thank you very much. It was, it was really interesting. And um, I appreciate you taking the time and trying to educate us all. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate the conversation. And um I, um, I really, I, I love what you guys are doing. I, well, I r- really appreciate it. And best of luck. And it'll be interesting to, to hear how this continues. Cause this data thing, it's not going in a way it's just nope. exploding, isn't it? So, uh, that's, that's right. um, and so with that, we're going to say goodbye for this episode of the digital doers podcast. If you get a chance, um, in the show notes for today's show, there'll be a couple of links. Uh, one of them, if you'd go click on that and leave us a little review, that would be wonderful. I always like to hear what you guys think. The other thing is I think there might be a link to just a 10-second survey. We're trying to gather a little data. So if you could click on those links and uh, interact with us a little bit. And uh, again, thank you to HPE. And with that, we'll say goodbye until next time. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.